This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Your computer makes thousands of connections every day, just like the one it's making now to deliver you your audio content. Why not unlock some little connections of your own? Pick up a box of Cadbury Heroes today, stay at home, and share them with your family or friends. Sometimes it's the little things that bring us together. Hey, yeah, Mom? What are you doing? I'm taking over a TV network. Finish up, honey, get the safe. Hackers. Hackers penetrate and ravage private and publicly owned computer systems. Hack the planet. Hack the planet. They just hacked the wrong guy. Game's over. It begins with a simple USB key. Then with surgical precision, penetrate some of the world's most advanced computer security. It isn't a virus. It's a worm. You see all of this? This is every financial transaction Ellingson conducts, yeah? From million dollar deals to the ten bucks that some guy pays for gas. The world eats a few cents from each transaction. No one's caught it because the money isn't really gone. If a hacker wants to sit in the lobby of a bank somewhere and just wait for one of the employees' phones to ping out something it shouldn't be, they take over the employee's phone. The employee goes and connects to an office printer. You own the office printer. The CEO goes to print something. Instead of the printer printing the paper, it sends a virus to the CEO's computer. You kind of get in like that. There is always a single weakest point in a computer system, though, uh, and in systems that are protected using passwords, uh, the system administrator's password in this particular case is the weak point. If that can be guessed, then the whole system uh, rolls over on its back and can be tickled. Never fear. Is here. I've narrowed the activity to Terminal 23. Let's echo 23, see what's up. It's much easier than people think. It's just about redefining what a hacker is, um, redefining the the relationship between hackers, government, and company, and, and embracing some of that, and not just going, oh, a hacker in a hoodie with code flying behind him. That's that's a very bad thing. Yo, man, this is zero cool. Hello and welcome to Science-ish. I'm Rick Edwards. This is Dr. Michael Brooks. Hello. Go on, say something else. How are you doing? Mm, I think I'm good, actually. I'll take it by surprise. <laughs> Didn't expect you to say anything. What? what? How am I doing? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'll answer you how you're doing. Badly. Um, <laughs> so the idea of the show is it's now very, very simple. We take one work of fiction. Could be a film. Could be a TV show, could be a book, could be a play, 
is always a film. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> always a film. And then we ask one question about the science, and then we talk to one scientist, and then we have a bit of a natter about it. And in this episode, I am going to be taking the lead, and we are going World Wide Web with the 1995 cult classic Hackers. Have you seen Hackers? It's, <laughs> have it's I very, seen Hackers? It's very cool, isn't it, Hackers? <laughs> <laughs> it must have been cool once. I think I can remember watching it when I was like 17, when it came out, and thinking it was really genuinely cool. Oh, really? <laughs> and just having my mind slightly blown by all like the crazy sort of graphics, <laughs> sort of vague fractal vibes and oh. sort of equations floating around. And I mean, yeah. it's not dated at all, has it? <laughs> no. And honestly... <laughs> The clobber is absolutely, it's, oh, mwah, 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 mwah. It's, it's quite sort of Friday night East London, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, sadly. Um, and lots of like, sort of rubber spikes, like they've all gone to, what's that place in Camden? Cyberdog. <laughs> um, <laughs> so naughty. Special offer at Cyberdog. <laughs> I watched it again, and I've got to say, I enjoyed it. Really? I think it's quite, I, think still? It's, I think it's quite good fun. <laughs> yeah. And I think that they've, you know, they've been very creative with the way that they've depicted hacking as it's sort of you have your little portable computer and you're on your on your roller skates and you're just sort of uh, <laughs> plugging into public phones and doing all your stuff. I, I Actually, it. for all you know, that probably is how hacking is done, isn't it? Well, exactly. I've literally got no idea how people hack so <laughs> might well be right. There's a new virus in the database. What's happening? replicating eating up memory uh, what do i do type cookie you idiot i'll head him off at the pass for anyone who hasn't seen the film the basic idea is that johnny lee miller he's a, a sort of prodigious hacker he moves to new york um, he's previously been done um, as a, like an 11 year old for bringing down a load of systems and then he falls in with this new hacker gang who conveniently goes to the same school as him. Yeah, that is um, lucky, isn't it? Yeah, they sort of get involved with this bad hacker, a black hat, and don't want to blind you with, uh, <laughs> blind you with jargon, jargon early, but uh, <laughs> that is what he was called, a black hat. He is working as a security officer at a big firm and he's got some scheme whereby he's nicking $25 million uh, and he tries to blame it on them by saying it's them that sort of hacked into the system. That's sort of it. Angelina Jolie is also in it. One of the guys from Scream. He's white hot, isn't he? I mean, it is a big performance, <laughs> by which I mean horrendous. <laughs> he's, he is quite upsetting throughout the film. I don't know what he's He makes playing. it actually very difficult to watch. Yes, he does. But then he's sort of the hero at the end, in a way. So that's it. And obviously, hacking, I don't know if you've noticed this, Michael, is it's very relevant. There's all this stuff about hacking everywhere you go. <laughs> it's almost like you don't really understand what hacking is. Well, you, you think that. I didn't. And then I got my modafinil <laughs> and I researched it and now I know everything. <laughs> so the film is about hacking. So our question this week is, how vulnerable are we to hackers? And we asked a former hacker. Uh, Jake Davis, whose alias was Topiary. And basically, normally our producer will go and do these interviews, but he, he just didn't want to do this one. Just, so we did just, it. Just, yeah, lazy. So we got him into the studio and we chatted. Just to put it in very simple terms, because I've realised that I have genuinely no idea how I would start hacking. Like... I just, I have not, not even the first sense of what I do. 
could you talk me through the, the, a basic way in? Yeah. The first thing is always reconnaissance. There are, there's tools out there that can scan the website, scan how the website's operating, more importantly, scan what types of software the website might be using and how it's networked together. And then you can see which pieces of software or code or services might be running in ways that perhaps the creator hasn't intended. Maybe they're talking together in interesting ways. And then you can look for outdated software. That's always, unfortunately, the, the number one way in. Mm. Um, software is updated not for marketing reasons all of the time, but because serious flaws have been discovered and then fixed by ethical hackers. And from there, code can be executed. Let's say you have a you look for a chink in the website's armor. Once you're in, you leverage access, uh, escalate privileges um, until you can get as much access as you can. That access usually takes place in the form of gaining the right to add files or modify other files. And then you can do anything that you could do on your own computer. You can add keyloggers, which will look at what everyone is typing, or monitoring tools that send you files, or exfiltrate all of their data by connecting over, a, over another server. So it's all about reconnaissance, and then access, then leveraging access, then retaining access. Um, it really depends what you want from the site. Shit. Get me the switching control center. I need to trace a call that's in progress. Uh, yeah, hold on, hold on, Mom. Hold on one second. Open the door, Joseph. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, okay. There you go. Dead. Sleep. Now. Please, Joseph. I think now it's it's returned to old school espionage techniques, especially human error. Human error is always the number one access point to uh, entire governments, companies, or individuals. A lot of the time, it is just tricking people into opening a thing. That thing takes over their system. Once their system has been compromised, you can leapfrog to other systems. Uh, hi, my name is Paul. I'm calling you from US. In the let's say late 2000s, it was very prolific to hack companies with exploits that were developed in the late 90s or early 2000s because at that point, with the rise of social media, marketing and the, the need for marketing and the drive for it had gone through the roof, whereas people didn't really think about security. And so only in the past few years, companies have sat down and gone, actually, we need to update these systems that are 20 years old. But the human element still comes into play, especially now that Everything's so incredibly complex that each individual part of the security kind of landscape requires there's a different company that deals with it and it's a complete mess. And so you can't really expect every single person, especially every single employee in a large business, to adhere to the same security practices as the CTO. And so hackers will often look for the low-hanging fruit and the easiest possible hack and, and get in like that. I guess the the more complex hacks, let's look at something like uh, Stuxnet, which was a virus that attacked the Natanz nuclear facility in Iran. That was government sponsored. You can you sort of tell motives and complexity based on resources and whether or not the hackers are a lone wolf or sponsored by an entire government. 
So I have to say, he kind of lost me in about the first 10 seconds. <laughs> it's like, that. this is how you do a hack. It's like, oh, you didn't start basic enough for me, Jake. But what you're saying is there are things you exploit, which is basically old software, which is just out of date. Yeah. And stupid people who will basically give you their passwords for very little reason. Yeah, exactly. So if you look at the recent ransomware attacks, the WannaCry ones, the ones that hit the NHS oh, yeah. and, and various other organizations across the world, that was just going through a flaw in old Microsoft Windows systems. And it's it's sort of ridiculous. So Microsoft knew about this flaw and had issued an update in March. So this was in, in 2017, last right. year. And then in May, this uh, WannaCry was, was released, this ransomware, and most people just hadn't updated. So exactly what Jake says, you really need to do it. It's not a marketing thing. It's slightly annoying. Sometimes oh, when you yeah, get the yeah, thing of like, yeah. updates are available, you're like, oh, yeah, remind me tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, remind me tomorrow. Yeah. Do it straight away. Because it is because they've found something key. Uh, and the way that something like this ransomware works is it just goes in through a backdoor or whatever, uh, and then takes over and encrypts your data and then a little message will come up saying mm, unlucky we've encrypted your data uh, can you send us some bitcoins and if you don't then you'll, you'll never get your data back and essentially the only way around it is to kind of sit tight and hope that someone comes up with a kill switch for it which someone did and not pay i think the, the crucial thing is is not pay because if you pay a you will get marked down as someone who will pay can you not hit remind me tomorrow on the pay thing no, I don't think you. I don't think you that can. doesn't work. No, apparently hackers who are carrying out these ransomware attacks will often target PhD students because they know the PhD students are just like, no, this is years <laughs> of work. Of course, I'll pay whatever you need. But the really spicy thing about the WannaCry attacks is that the NSA, the National Security Agency in America, they knew about this vulnerability ages ago, didn't tell Microsoft because they were exploiting it. Oh. For, their, for their own offensive work. So they were like, aha. Yeah. Uh-huh. And apparently this is something that governments do. They stockpile vulnerabilities in order that they can then use it for their own ends rather like a, than letting the companies know. It, yeah, precisely. Yeah, and, then, and they just keep them. And then Microsoft eventually found it. And like I say, they found it before this, this attack, but then people weren't installing the patch um, soon enough. So <laughs> that is, that the, the NSA, I mean, it doesn't, <laughs> I don't think the NSA come out of that particularly well, if I'm honest. It begins with a simple USB key, then with surgical precision, penetrates some of the world's most advanced computer security. So WannaCry sounds horrible, and there's various other ones. I mean, Jake mentioned Stuxnet. What was that? The first cyber weapons, say experts, to threaten to damage targets in the real world. So it was a kind of malicious computer worm that was ultimately responsible for a load of damage to the Iranian nuclear program. So in Iran, they've got these centrifuges that are responsible for the production of uh, enriched uranium. And actually, it's exactly what Jake was saying. You can tell from the complexity of this that it must be a state-sponsored thing. This would require a lot of resources on the level of a nation-state. Now, taking into account the intelligence required to attack a specific target, it would make it nearly or to virtually impossible that this is a lone attacker. 
sitting at home. The Stuxnet worm infects systems through a USB key. Although no one has come forward and, and claimed responsibility, it looks like it was US and Israeli um, intelligence services who were, who were operating it. God bless them. Um, I, I know. And I think, by all accounts, very pleased with themselves. So I read somewhere that <laughs> no one's come out and, yeah, <laughs> claimed responsibility. But uh, guys leaving do, who worked for the Israeli <laughs> Secret Service, they played a video and sort of uh, thanked him for his part. <laughs> They're like, oh, good stuff. Love it. Love it. You get like a golden center view. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a knackered one. So the way that they did it, is they targeted five companies that were contractors to this plant where they were enriching uranium, giving them a, a way in. So they knew that they would then use their computers or maybe use a flash drive. So it would get them past the security of that facility. They go in and then they, they basically lie dormant until they find what they're looking for, which is a bit of Siemens technology that controls the machinery in this plant. And then it kicks in and it does this thing where it kind of makes the centrifuge either spin too quickly or too slowly, but also feeds back information to like the sensors saying that everything's fine. So then you get <laughs> loads of centrifuges failing and you're just like, why are our centrifuges? They're all working fine. Like I can tell, I look, look, we're monitoring, they're fine. They're all getting knackered. It's really clever, isn't it's it? It's really, really clever. I like it a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of quite sort of James Bond science fiction kind of stuff. But I mean, is it prevalent? Is it common? Yeah, so the thing about Stuxnet as well is it spreads indiscriminately. So it's it's all over the world. And it could be in your computer just lying there dormant. It's only going to spring into action if you have, <laughs> basically, this Siemens software that is operating a centrifuge. <laughs> well, it just Do you? so happens. <laughs> You've had a nightmare. <laughs> have you checked your uranium recently? <laughs> so it's probably infected almost everybody. Is that the feeling? So it just waits to see. I, I mean, I, I, it will have spread worldwide. And, and you'd have no way of knowing it was there because it's got, it has a module that basically hides itself as well. Right. So it's incredibly hard to detect. Right, I'm not. And would cause you no problems. I'm not asking for that centrifuge for my birthday then. Ah, I'm glad I kept the receipt. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows who's behind the worm and the exact nature of its mission. Some believe Israel's responsible, using expertise in military cyber intelligence to thwart Iran's nuclear ambitions. There's no evidence Israelis created the Stuxnet worm, but there are fears Iran will hold Israel or America responsible and seek retaliation. So Jake mentioned ethical hackers, and he is one, as I understand it now. Uh, so what do they do? You have good hackers and bad hackers. Um, so bad hackers are just going into companies and into, into sites and trying to sort of leverage them for their own purposes, financial gain, or just to sort of be destructive and cause havoc. Ethical hackers are essentially going in and then telling companies. So they're saying, look, here's a vulnerability we've exposed. Here's how you might be able to fix it. And companies are quite interested in that because they want to try and protect themselves against bad hackers. And so that's the kind of thing that Jake would be doing. They're still getting all the thrill of doing the hacking, but they're actually getting paid for it as well. Yeah, it's perfect. Win-win. And actually, we need ethical hackers more than ever before because the vulnerability landscape is expanding, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> it's like being lectured by a chimp. <laughs> it's increased drastically in that if two things are connected together, there's a finite number of ways you can break into it. And then you start connecting your toasters to that. So you've got your router, you've got three laptops connected to it. That's probably okay. 
Then your router starts sending third-party information to X, Y, and Z. Then your toaster is connected to your router. Then your smart washing machine is connected to your toaster. And then when you go out and you drive around, you can access your home's heating system from your phone. I think the greater the network becomes, the more vulnerabilities and more access points there are. And, and so is this a kind of move from cyber virtual into cyber physical? Is that what's I've happened? been hired to do a few jobs where I've um, the company has seen fit to allow me to physically break into their building or sit in their lobby and just scan passively for data. I mean, given the amount of data our smartphones put out, this is, um, I think, the number one change which moves into cyber physical. You can pretty much sit in the same room as someone, and if their phone's got Wi-Fi enabled, it's pretty much game over. You can force their Wi-Fi to connect to you, then you can do whatever you like to their phone. You can probably correlate their home address just by little probes their phone sends out. All of our devices we carry around on our person at all times are able to track us, serve as access points into our lives and also the lives of everything we connect to. And so physical surveillance and in-person reconnaissance, if you want to call it that, comes into play massively, especially if a hacker wants to sit in the lobby of a bank somewhere and just wait for one of the employee's phones to ping out something it shouldn't be. They take over the employee's phone. The employee goes and connects to an office printer. You own the office printer. The CEO goes to print something. Instead of the printer printing the paper, it sends a virus to the CEO's computer. And you kind of get in like that. Hackers penetrate and ravage delicate, private, and publicly owned computer systems, infecting them with viruses and stealing materials for their own ends. These people... This is Richard Gill. You're hacker enemy number one, man. Thank you, Mr. You're a boner. Yo, showtime. Showtime. What's going on? Four, three, two, one... So how does the Internet of Things come into all this? Catastrophically. <laughs> this is terrible. It's, my good friend Darren gives a yearly talk at hacker conferences on all of the Internet of Things devices he's found and broken. I think the problem is, if we just look past the idea of whether or not they're good or bad and just forget that for a second, manufacturers don't build these things with security in mind. As a laptop manufacturer goes, this is a laptop, this is a computer, it should have high security. And you look at something like uh, one of my favorite, most dystopian Internet of Things devices is this Phobie. We had the kind of uh, Bluetooth Phobie, and now we've got a Wi-Fi Phobie. You know, the little little toys that you can... It it was possible to hack the app for the Phobie and then hack every single Phobie in the entire world (laughs) from there (laughs) and anyone that downloads it. And then you could plant malicious files on the Phobie so that anyone else connected their phone to it, you would take over their phone as well. And so these things aren't built with that security in mind because people look at something like a smart toaster, a washing machine, a car, a Furby, and they think that's not a computer. But it is. It works. Your phone is a computer. It all works roughly the same way, but we don't apply this mindset. So I think it's, the Internet of Things can be wonderful, but I think everyone just needs to go, whether or not it's a good idea to give this random object an IP address to sell it more, they should maybe find time to hire some hackers or even have some hackers come in and go, well, actually, watch this before they consider selling it. So I've got to take the Furby off the birthday list as well then. Yeah, so no centrifuge, no Furby. (laughs) (laughs) It's not looking good. No, it's really not, actually, because exactly as Jake says, these things that we're connecting to the internet 
willy-nilly. They reckon there's going to be 50 billion devices connected to the internet by 2020. And most of them won't be designed with security in mind. So they're just like the weakest point, (laughs) access point to everything. Which is, you know, fairly sobering stuff. And you get situations like, it's not just the Furby that's getting hacked. There was a a casino in North America that was hacked via its fish tank. Unbelievable. Um, And then you've got that horrible thing from, I think, maybe a year or two ago where people were hacking baby monitors. So kids were coming into their parents and saying, I'm scared of the voice in, 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 in our room. And the parents are like, it's okay. There's no one there. Relax. And then eventually people were like, really was. and there were voices talking to their kids saying oh. things like, oh, someone's coming. <laughs> I mean, horrible. Really horrible. They're supposed to keep your baby safe by letting you watch and listen to your child. But baby monitors themselves can be susceptible to misuse and the wrong set of eyes can end up watching your child. It felt like somebody broke into our house. Mark Gilbert says he and his wife heard a strange voice coming from his two-year-old daughter's room uttering disturbing messages. We said, uh, uh, wake up, Allison. Gilbert says that voice was coming from their baby monitor. And so all of this stuff that we're talking about is cyber-physical. So it's you're using uh, connected devices on the internet to then create effects in the physical world. And one really uh, sobering example for me <laughs> is cars. So most cars now have an enormous amount of code. And I, I've just got a, I've got a car that has, like, on my phone, I can unlock it, I can turn the heating on, I can like tell it what time I'm going to leave and get itself oh, ready, no. like put on a nice dress or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> And I think it's just horribly hackable, and I'm going to delete the app. Are you? I think so, because I don't know. It's not really improving my quality of life much, but I think it is a clear weakness. See, I would love to be able to hack your car and just start talking to you while you're driving along. Yes, I think that would be funny. Luckily, you wouldn't have the first idea how to. I, could, I would have to enlist Jake's help. Yeah, I think Jake would probably be able to do it in under five minutes. I was on stage with uh, Housie, with Jake <laughs> once, oh, and Housie. he live hacked another person on stage's phone in less than 30 seconds. <gasps> These are not people you want to piss off, are they? Not at all. Like, really not at all, because <laughs> they can do it. It's easy for them. So it sounds like we're heading for a complete nightmare here. Uh, possibly, yeah. Dozens of countries, including the U.S., are trying to recover from a massive cyber attack that locked up tens of thousands of computers. The targets included hospitals, companies, and government agencies. Unless we start hiring more hackers and taking it seriously, we'll be extremely screwed, especially if those devices are more related to our physical selves and our well-being. If you look at, like, pacemakers that can be hacked, life support machines that can be hacked, x-ray machines that are just beaconing out that anyone can find online, that would be catastrophic. A recent congressional report says the security of our healthcare systems is in, quote, critical condition. Tonight, what two doctors slash hackers are doing about it. I think we do have the potential to stop it. It's much easier than people think. It's just about redefining what a hacker is. Um, redefining the the relationship between hackers, government and company and, and embracing some of that and not just going, oh, a hacker in a hoodie with code flying behind them. That's, that's a very bad thing. It's going to be tough work, but it's possible. We just need people to open up more. We're on his computer right now. You were able to take take over this, this guy's computer within, I would say, like under two minutes. Under two minutes, yeah. Under two minutes, took over his entire computer. And, and think of it as not just his computer, but it's pretty much a downfall of the entire company. 
also be more brave to let hackers through the door because it's tough for some companies. They'll they'll go, okay, gently hack our networks. <laughs> and then hackers will come in and they'll go into the boardroom and they'll have a stack of papers, massive, going, I have everything. I have owned you. Also, you've been hacked 92 times in the past and I've got rid of them, don't worry. But some com- companies are scared of what will happen. But I think that openness is required. You have to strip it all back and just work with the hacker mindset because everything we have now wasn't built with hackers baking in security from the start. And so if we start designing things, thinking like the attacker, things might get better. So part of the solution is going to be to change our perception of hackers and kind of realize that we can recruit them to kind of take on the bad hackers too. Yeah, I think so. And actually, to be fair to the film, it doesn't do a bad job. Like You get the sense that they're quite good guys. They're willing to help. They take down a bad hacker. Also, we have to accept that there are going to be black cats, so the, the, the bad hackers out there. And so we kind of need to try and protect ourselves. And there's an endless, seemingly endless list of things that you can do to protect yourself that I do know, but I still haven't done. <laughs> and, and it's not even difficult stuff. It's just sort of, just really obvious. So things like, I mean, obviously from the WannaCry uh, thing, update immediately. Yeah. <laughs> just just update everything. When a security patch or security update, do it. Like I looked on my apps on my phone. There are 43 <laughs> unupdated apps. I'm just like, God, it's boring, isn't it? Just have to, I have to literally wait for four every minutes. Every one of those is, is a vulnerability. Presumably. I mean, they're not all going to be security patches, but some of them will be. And how good are your passwords? I don't know if I want to talk about this. (laughs) Put put it this way. My passwords are in a perfect state, and it's very easy to remember all of them. I wonder why that would be. Is it (laughs) (laughs) R1CK? Have you hacked me? (laughs) And then the other thing is obviously just thinking, do I need to have this thing connected to the internet? Do I need to have control of my house's heating from when I'm, you know, out and about do i need to have well a furby that is connected to the internet <laughs> does my centrifuge definitely need <laughs> to be connected <laughs> could i just monitor it myself and, and just yeah i think just avoiding um just getting on the internet of things bandwagon <laughs> basically live in the 20th century not the 21st century and you'll probably uh, it be does all right sound, it does sound slightly luddite it does yeah kill the gibson roger that Come on, you son of a bitch. Is that all you got, huh? Come on, let's see what else you can do. You talking to me? Huh? <laughs> Are you nuts? Come at me. There are people who are looking into other ways. So at the minute, the way that people are looking to defend their kind of cyberspace is perimeter defense. So you're sort of saying you're not going to get through here. So like firewalls and things like that. But the fact is there are always going to be errors in code. There are going to be bugs in code that people can exploit. And one way of avoiding that might be using AI to write code. There's a thing called Deep Coder, which has been developed by Microsoft and... And a bloke in Ghana. <laughs> yeah, it's always a bloke in Ghana. <laughs> um, so it's the bloke in Ghana, it's Microsoft, and it's the University of Cambridge. Absolute, <laughs> <Yeah>. absolute dream team. <laughs> and they, this thing called Deep Coder... You can give it, basically say, I want this program to do this, and it can then write you the code. Only very simple code at the moment, so like five lines of code. But it can do it using artificial intelligence. It just sort of finds bits of pre-written code that will work and then assembles them. This just feels to me like 
more vulnerability. You're getting somebody else to do it. You've got to trust them, haven't you? Yes, you have. But the idea is that the AI is not going to make human error when it's coding, and those are the main vulnerabilities. So it should. If you trust the people who are designing the AI that is then making your code, then you should be all right. But I take your point. You might not trust Big them. If. But the, what I think is the most interesting sort of development that's happening at the moment is a thing called Dark Trace. And this, instead of doing perimeter defense, it uses AI to, in real time, monitor the operation of your system. So everything that's going on, it's watching. And it learns what normal behavior is. So if everything is operating correctly, it knows. As soon as anything out of the ordinary happens, it spots it and alerts your cybersecurity officer. It's more like an immune system. So instead of saying, well, no bacteria is ever going to get in here, we're saying, okay, some bacteria will get through the body's defenses and then we have things that will attack it. And that's how this is working using machine learning. So we're outsourcing all this stuff basically to more and more complex algorithms and AIs and everything else and putting things out there that we can't control. I mean, is it better just to go back to a simpler life? But we outsource everything. Like, I don't know how to make a fridge. I don't know how to make a car. Like, that's just the way that the world works. There are people who have expertise in an area and they help your life by designing and making these things for you. But you don't have to have a fridge that's connected to the internet, do you? No, true. But I mean, all Dark Trace is saying is we will protect you from cyber crime. Yeah. That's not a bad thing. If you trust them. Oh, yeah. Well, again, do you know who's developed it? (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) The guy from Ghana. (laughs) Yo, kind of feel like God. Uh, So the question was, how vulnerable are we to hackers? And I think the answer is pretty vulnerable. Especially you and me. Yeah. How are your passwords? Terrible. All the same? No, not all the same. Mm. I'm not saying any more than that. Okay. I'm I'm going to get a password manager as soon as we leave the studio. names and year of birth? Well, no. Yes. (laughs) Yes, you are vulnerable. Next week, we'll be discussing plant intelligence when we look at John Wyndham's classic, The Day of the Triffids. Good one for the vegans, though. It's going to be an absolute nightmare for the vegans, unfortunately. <laughs> Science-ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producer was Max Sanderson, with sound designed by Ivor Slayer-Manley. Special thanks to Jake Davis. We do want the number one spot on iTunes back, so please, I don't know, listen to this again? You've already listened to it. I don't know how this bit works. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes? Oh, yeah. That's good. And write a review. A nice one. Your computer makes thousands of connections every day just like the one it's making now to deliver you your audio content. Why not unlock some little connections of your own? Pick up a box of Cadbury Heroes today, stay at home and share them with your family or friends. Sometimes it's the little things that bring us together. 